Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. My name is Sean Kennedy, standing in for James Taylor today. And joining me from the EF1 team is Coops. Hi, Coops. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. It's good to be back. It's my first one of the year. It's, oh. it's good to be back. It's good to hear we, your we, dulcet tones again. Yeah, I was going to say, I was missing your Irish dulcet tones myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good. We are also joined by Connor. Hi, Connor. Hi, how's it going? Anyone watching on Facebook, he is Connor, not iPhone. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, technology has not been on my side today, as usual. So, uh, no, but it's good to be back on the on the podcast. And, and yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're delighted you, you made it in. And also joining us is our special guest, Ed Straw. Hi, Ed. How are you? Hello, I'm great. Thanks very much for having me back. We're absolutely delighted to have you back. And we'll come to you now in just one sec. But before we do, we are, of course, Everything F1. You can find us on all socials at JoinEF1 on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also check out our website for daily news and articles, everythingf1.com. We'd also really appreciate if you could hit subscribe wherever you are listening to get all of our newest episodes in your earlobes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. Now then, as I mentioned, we do have a special guest today, Ed Straw. And Ed, you've been on the show with us a couple of times before, but it has been a little while. It was midway through last season since we last chatted to you. So for any of our new listeners, and we're delighted to say there are quite a lot of them since then, give us the, 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 the quick background of yourself, who you are. I'm a Formula One journalist. I cover not all the races now, the vast majority now with how many there are. It's always worth knocking a few off just to ensure sanity, as it were. But yeah, I work for the race and a few other titles race. You see me popping up in a few different bits of places, host the Race F1 podcast. So yeah, basically cover F1. That's pretty much 24-7 it for me. And right in the middle of launch season now, so I'm fairly busy. Did you Did you get any time off over Christmas? There was a bit. It, it sort of slows down. It's a bit more regular. There's always stuff to write and do and record, etc. But it's a bit more sort of normal hours. So it's it's quite nice and kind of back and ready to go now with with all these cars emerging. And then of course we are testing in a few weeks in Bahrain. I'll be uh, off there. Oh, cool! It's cool. We're all very jealous <laughs> while we're stuck in the UK and Ireland, and probably the rain at the end of February. Let, let's get straight into it then. Obviously, as we record today, we had the latest of the F1 car drops. Would it actually look like a real car this time? Alfa Romeo dropped, I believe they've called it the C43 in lovely black and red. And Ed, I'll go straight back to you. What were your thoughts on on that launch? Launch it looked pretty good, didn't it? Yeah, I like the launch as a whole. It was relatively straightforward and simple, but they were speaking to the right people. I always like it when the technical director gets to speak and Jan Monchot answered a few questions properly. So it was interesting to get a little bit of an idea of what they've been trying to do with the car. 
slightly new livery as well obviously the the black rather than the the white on the alfa romeo so it's nice when there's a little bit of a fresh look and yeah interesting to see what's largely a 2023 car it wasn't the absolute full-blown real Mm. car but there's some design details on there that are very much real so you start to get a little bit of a feel for the direction they're going in but so far it's just a sample set of one because that's the only 23 car we've seen anything of so there's not much to compare it to other than last year so far yes I, it might have just been my eye but it looked a little bit audi e the red is definitely a different mm-hmm. shade than it was last year it looked like maybe it, there was a little bit of a, a tease of what's to come in a few years for it connor what were your thoughts on the the alpha launch you, you mentioned earlier that you thought that the strikes on the side might not be necessarily legal and kind of leads into the question of then why did they go through the effort of putting that on the launch car Well, for that question, I'm definitely the wrong person to ask. There's obviously an element of trying to make it look better for the renders and things like that. From my understanding, it's definitely not legal. But my thoughts on the car, well, firstly, it's nice to to have a launch of an actual car that will have elements of it when testing arrives in a couple of weeks. Definitely, we've seen Alfa Romeo take the the evolution on the side pod going for the more downward ramp, similar to what Red Bull had last year and what a lot of teams followed one of Ed's articles actually I read explaining how trying to get as much energized the air over the diffuser and things like that so yeah it's nice to actually see a car that's going to have elements of the actual design come barring testing finally yeah absolutely and coops of the the cars we've seen so far we've got the Haas the Williams technically the Red Bull and now the Alpha what are your thoughts on those four so far in the past week oh I like the Haas I think it's I think it's a nice one. It reminds me of the the Tyrrell Honda from the nineteen the early nineties, the brown one. I had to have a look. I looked up because I'm like, that looks familiar. And I had a quick look and like, oh there it is. I think that was just a livery, a livery launch, wasn't it? That one, the Haskar. But yeah, I like the fact that they've went and decided to try something. You know, Red mm. Bull have got their their livery, that's not going to change anytime soon. Probably in 2026 when the big Ford badge gets slapped on the side or something. Big blue uh, stripe down the middle of it. <laughs> probably. Uh, but yeah, it was nice to see, you know, surprisingly enough, actually, the Williams one, I think I put out onto like our socials and stuff saying it's the same one with golf sticker. But then I, th- I noticed a side by side and it's actually slightly different. The livery's not quite the same. A wee bit more, the reds will be a bit more prominent. So it was. It was a kind of subtle change, but... Definitely uh, more more of a change than the Red Bull. <laughs> well, yeah, when you put one sponsor on the side of the car and then say it's the RB19, when it's clearly not the <laughs> RB19. And that launch, like, if you, if you want to talk about the four launches, so you had Haas that just went, at this time, here's some pictures. There you go. No talk, no nothing, there's a picture. Red Bull spent an hour, and then you saw the same car as last year, literally the same car as last year. Uh, then you had Williams what, 15 minutes or so, give or take. I didn't time it, but it was very quick. And then, as you say, the, the Alfa Romeo, they had a kind of panellist and managed to leak their own car images with the images behind them while they were talking to people. You know, it's four launches, four different ways of doing it. And I think Red Bull need to really... Like, I don't know what we're going to get for Alfa Tauri, a 45-minute fashion show, and then the car at the very end. I don't know. It, it was a very long, drawn-out process to see the same car last year. Ed, you've been around F1 for quite a while. Where, where do you stand on these car launches, the difference between just some pictures on Twitter 15 minutes after they said they put them up to, you know, the same car as last year, 
fake car launches obviously we don't say obviously back in the day we had you know mclaren bringing out all the spice girls and embarrassing their drivers it's <laughs> it's not quite as extravagant as it used to be where do you stand on car launches do you think they're okay the way they are now would you like to see maybe a little bit more information come out of them than we're kind of getting at the moment i'd like to see a little bit of tidying up the thing i would like them all to do is just be honest as you pointed out the Red Bull RB19, as they said it was, was not RB19. It was mm. just their livery and a fairly similar livery. Now, if you want to do a livery launch, that's absolutely fine. Williams, at least, were relatively honest about it. I think that was fairly clear. Certainly, we knew 100% it was going to be that car. I was up there on Monday, so I was just there to look at the livery and was slightly underwhelmed when the covers came off the car, I must confess. But that's their corporate look, so it was probably naive to expect it to change a great deal. So I like them to be honest and direct about it. There'll always be technical details that are hidden. That's just how it works. But whether you're showing renders of the car or a, or a physical car, a real car or a show car, if you're just honest about what it is, and try to avoid being confusing, because actually Alfa Romeo was slightly baffling because they issued some renders of the car and they had a physical car there. And the physical car there did have some actual features of the mm. 23 car. For example, the rear suspension was different. You had a, a push rod versus a pull rod design. So they were different between the physical car. And I think the physical car in that case was representative of that configuration. And then you had the alternative on the on the, the visual, the, the renders that were released. So it creates a little bit of confusion. But I, I just like them to be direct, put people up to talk about it, talk a little bit about the basic principles that you're following with the car. Yamon Show was good on that today because he just said, well, we focused on the rear bit of a change of, of side pod concept, try and massively energize the, the floor at the rear, the diffuser, et cetera. And then you can start to understand why they've got some of those slightly Red Bull side pod elements, a little bit of Ferrari in the cooling mm. inlets packaging there. So you actually get a little bit of a feeling for what they're trying to do. And it doesn't give away anything to any of the other teams. As soon as other teams see real cars, they know exactly what the first principles they're following are usually. Anyway, so it's just nice to have something to, to get your teeth into. But the absolute ideal is real car, real mm. genuine car that's going to run. That's the, the the ideal way of doing it. But you generally won't get that this far out. And I think AlphaTauri will have a a show car at the actual launch, which will be the old car with a probably a modified livery on it mm. of some sort, not dramatically modified. Don't want to get anybody too excited there. And then I think they'll have some renders of some form of the car. So yeah, be honest and just tell people about it, particularly because in F1, Fans say they like technical stories. Some fans don't, that's fine. But there's a, a decent number of fans who are interested in it because it's such a technical sport. Mm. And you can talk about that just in basic levels to get people a deeper understanding. You don't have to get more advanced because then it gets hideously complicated and well behind, well beyond the comprehension of anyone except an absolute specialist. But that's something that interests people. So it's a good chance to do that as well as pushing your sponsors and your branding, et cetera, and just trying to get yourself some coverage. So be honest is my number one request for launches. We couldn't agree more. And unfortunately, though, any sort of semblance that maybe that Alpha car might run in, in a couple of weeks' time were immediately shot down because the car they had at the launch is already up for sale. <laughs> this is oh. definitely not a real car. They're, they're putting it up for auction for charity, which is a cool thing to do. I, th I think it's, it's quite a good thing that they'll probably raise a lot, a lot of money for that. But obviously, that means it's not going to be the real car. And we've six more to go. So as we mentioned, we've AlphaTauri on the 11th. Aston and McLaren are going to fight for, you know, the, all the news stories on the 13th. So I'd expect maybe a little bit more from both of them, given they're on the same day. Ferrari are going to, like, try and fall in, Microsoft fall in love on... 
Valentine's Day and they announced today that the car will be called the SF23. Mercedes is on the 15th and Alpine will be the last one on the 16th. Ed, what are you expecting from the rest of them? Are you, which one are you looking forward to most? I guess it's always the big teams that you're interested in seeing what they do. Obviously, Ferrari, will they carry over their distinctive side pod approach? I suspect they will, but it'll be how they refine it. Mm. And also Mercedes will be interesting because everybody's interested in their side pods, etc. I suspect it's not going to be as big a change just in basic visuals as people expect, but it's going to be a very fundamental change in terms of how it all works and the suspension concept and all these things that go into actually making it work. It's always a combination of things that, that create the characteristics. So yeah, the, the, the big team cars and obviously the real Red Bull when we see it, and we mm. never really see much detail of the Red Bull until you actually get there on the ground at testing. Those will be the three that are going to be fighting up the front. So they're always the, the most interesting, but you never know, there may be some unexpected directions that are taken by some of the other teams there's some who've got obvious directions they're already going and that they'll probably take another step in aston martin for example change their approach with the side pod of their spain upgrade last season and i imagine mm. they'll just try and take a step evolving that just as williams has said they're going to do after having their mid-season upgrade but others might change things a little bit more and we'll see some of the trends as we get a bigger sample set of cars in terms of what directions people are going in on top of the directions we saw last year once they're a little bit freer to make bigger changes because obviously there's some fundamental architecture that's normally locked in and be very expensive to change in season so there's a bit of freedom to change that so the slightly on the fence answer is really all of them that i'm looking <laughs> forward to Coops, what about yourself? Obviously, we are all not so secret <clears throat> McLaren fans on this this podcast, and McLaren have quite a big announcement to make. Obviously, with well, not announcement, but I suppose an unveiling of Mister Piastri to come out in his colours officially in public for the first time. Aston also have the big announcement and big unveiling of Alonso alongside a new car. So that's going to be a fun day of news reports. The thirteenth, it will be Aston and McLaren are two quite good teams I suppose in terms of like their imagery and Aston Martin as the brand and McLaren we all love McLaren obviously the papaya is pretty much the corporate image now of now gone are the you know the chrome and blacks of, of yesteryear so I don't see too much of a change weirdly enough McLaren seemed to change the livery they, they launched it last year and then very quickly changed it to a bit more black and then they add a couple of kind of special liveries for later on. Yeah, it will be interesting. I think the biggest thing for me, kind of touching on what Ed said, is, is looking to see what people have done last year. It's the first year of the rules, and we were all really excited because I was worried because the rules were quite prescriptive, and I thought, oh, it's going to be the same car. Everyone's going to have the same car. And I don't think we had two cars the same at all. Mm. You know, you had Mercedes that brought out the zero side pods. You had... Ferrari that brought out their uh, baby bell side pods. You had all sorts of different things and, you know, some worked, some didn't. So and now we know that Red Bull have got got things right and Ferrari to a point got things right. So what are other teams going to take from each of those teams? Are they, you know, stealing a wee idea from Ferrari and Red Bull? You know, it would be silly not to have a look over at Red Bull how dominant their car was but yeah I mean I'm always interested to see this you know for most for me anyway I don't know about you guys but as Carl Lynch's start coming on that's when I know right okay 
It's, we're we're getting ready. We're going. We're building. So this is this is the this is the formation lap. We're on our way. <laughs> so it's it's nice, you know. Sat. I think it's Saturday that we're going to have Alpha Tauri. If I'm right, the eleventh. The eleventh um, is a Saturday. Yeah, so that'd yeah. be nice. I don't have to to try and sneak watch it during work. <laughs> no, well that's it. And also, uh, my son's with me, and he's just started getting into Formula One. He's a Max Verstappen fan. Took him over to Silverstone last year. So. So we'll be able to sit together. Got him up at silly o'clock in the morning to watch the Japanese Grand Prix and he promptly fell back asleep in the couch. Uh, so. <laughs> yes, uh, it, was, it was a shame. You know, I had to wake him back up when the race actually started. So, yeah, it'll be good to sit down with the boy the, and watch the Alpha Tauri and be slightly disappointed that it's not a big change of a livery. <laughs> but, you know, it's for him as well, it's getting things going. So, yeah, I think... It was a long-winded way of saying pretty much them all as well. <laughs> <laughs> Connor, do I do I assume you're looking forward to all of them as well, or is there one in particular you're especially interested to see what they'll come up with? Yeah, of course I'm looking forward to them all. I guess the main thing is I'm I'm looking forward to Bahrain qualifying as much as anything. But um, yeah, no, I think obviously the Mercedes is quite an, an attractive one as well as the, the Ferrari. But I think the the word that's coming out of that team is that the the concept of the, the side pods isn't necessarily going to change but it's obviously mm. what's going on under the car and obviously last year they had a, a huge problem with the race suspension stiffness and I think that's going to be something that's to keep an eye on obviously not at the car launch but as we head into testing and, and the first race how they've dealt with that as well so I think it's more about what's going to be going on under the car obviously um, but we'll see if how the teams are refined and, and yeah again it's I'm looking forward to all of them. So Ed, we mentioned obviously if we've got the, all those new new launches coming up. Looking further ahead, we've got testing starting on the twenty third of February. As you mentioned, you're you're heading over. Are you looking forward to to that? Nice nice sun in Bahrain for a weekend. Yeah, it'll certainly be good weather there. That's for sure. Very rainy rain. So I have experienced rain in Bahrain, but very briefly. Yeah, testing I always enjoy because they're real cars on the track. So. Mm. I always think of pre-season is just this area where the amount of data and information you get gradually builds. Like right now, we've got almost nothing. Even on the Alfa Romeo, we've got almost nothing. But we've got a tiny bit more than we otherwise would have done to go on. And then as things progress, as you see more of the cars, you gain a little bit more data and understanding about them. And testing starts to build that. You still get to the end of testing with a very, very, very vague picture. You can only, it's very, very poor quality in terms of the data you can analyze but you can get a few little pointers and understand where things seem to be going but then it's always working towards yeah that first qualifying session as mm. was mentioned where you actually get something definitive and proper and clear to to actually found your sort of model of performance based on what you're seeing this year from so yeah testing's always great and seeing the cars on track and watching them from track side you can learn a bit about them how they're looking you can start to see some of the the traits that are developing the areas where they're strong or weak again always difficult because of the varying fuel loads programs but you kind of get a bit of an idea of what people are doing on track any one time so it's it's just the getting to know you phase of the new cars which i i do enjoy in in testing and it's yeah you know people complain about analysis of testing because it's not predictive well it's not meant to be predictive all it is 
is it is what appears to be the case based on this set of pretty low quality data but it's more than we did know so <laughs> taking those steps is always fun and then of course you finally get to the top step of that right at the end of the season when you've got all the data you want and you've got the definitive picture of the year and that's that's kind of how i see the season progressing if you like in terms of building that model a slightly prosaic way of looking at it but that's what it's all about isn't it the performance of the cars and the way they vary and match up and conditions interact with that is what makes the racing Absolutely. What are you most looking forward to about the 2023 season? Is it the new race? Is it the potential for the cars to be a little bit closer? The the development rules and the, the limitations on like the top team versus the bottom team coming a little bit more into effect throughout the year? What what are you hoping to, that we get out of the 2023 season? I think it's a bit early for things to be closing up significantly. I suspect we'll probably see the, the top three still the top three. There's always the potential for surprises amongst that, but I suspect you'll see the top three in the midfield because that's a longer process. Although I'm relatively upbeat with the cost cap and then moves like the aero restrictions, that will, over a long period of time, even up the potential of the teams in terms of that, whether they can extract that potential is another matter. But I think the hope is that there will be a proper live title fight and mm. that way you're looking for those three teams ultimately unless there's a real surprise which obviously the more cars there are that can fight the champ for the championship the better that's always what you want to see but when you look at the drivers who are in those top teams the idea of having Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell, Perez, Leclerc, Science all fighting for wins on a regular basis is the dream it's almost too much to hope for but you at least want ideally two teams to be in that mix because that always makes for a great championship we had a hint of that in the first part of last season with Red Bull and Ferrari but you just want a season-long fight it, it's never one of those things that I'm I'm not that bothered about who wins it's more how they win and that there is a good interesting engaging fight that ideally goes back and forth I always used to say I just wanted to see it go down to the last lap of the last race but when I was saying that as something I was hoping for I never I never quite imagined it could be quite as controversial as it, as it was in, in, in 2021 so it's a, an example of you've got to be careful what you wish for I guess but yeah you just want to see something close at the front and that's that's the hope hopefully will happen and there's reasons to expect Mercedes to be stronger I think Mercedes I almost feel are more likely to be a stronger title force I think Ferrari could take another year or so to tidy up but we don't know anything can happen at this stage mm. absolutely yeah I, th I hope it's it's been quite a, lot, a long time since we've had a, a title fight between two teams go down to the wire we've had it Injured team with Mercedes, but it's been it's been a good long while since we've had that proper fight to the end of the season. I, I think you're right. I think if Ferrari can, you know, take it up a notch from where they were last year, we might get them fighting through to the end of the year. Now, moving on to other news from this week since we were last on the show. Obviously, the the, the big news story from the end of last week is that somewhat out of nowhere, at least from you know a public image standpoint. Ford are returning to Formula One. They will be partnering with Red Bull from 2026, not as a full engine manufacturer, but I think maybe, Ed, you might be able to explain to us a little bit more what exactly this partnership and this deal is for Ford and Red Bull. Yeah, well, it's still going to be Red Bull powertrains. It's a Red Bull Ford engine is what it's going to be officially called. So it will largely be done by Red Bull Powertrains, the new engine company they built up, but there will be some contribution. Obviously, primarily Ford's putting in some money. They said it's an eight-year deal, so it's kicked in now because obviously development work is ongoing. So it's 23 to 2030 that deal covers, but it won't be manifested on track until 2026 and in the branding of the car. Where Ford 
say they can make a contribution is in terms of some of the uh, the hybrid elements and obviously the aim with the, these engines is that the hybrid the ERS is kind of the main competition element obviously the bottom end of the engine is pretty of the v6 engine itself is pretty prescriptive top end there's a bit more variation permitted within the rules but then the hybrid which is massively more potent from 2026 will be the main battleground and so Ford are talking about making a contribution in terms of for example the battery cell technology some of the control systems etc etc I think them and Ford and, and Red Bull are kind of working out how they can help each other fundamentally it will be a red bull engine but i think it's more than just a ford sticker on the car mm. but just because it's more than just a ford sticker on the car doesn't mean it's a full-on ford engine it's got a tiny echo of the old ford dfe engines that were so successful for so long in f1 because ford always they put some money into cosworth but they didn't own cosworth until much much later on so all that success with the dfv engine and its derivatives 155 wins i think for, for that and its derivatives and then another 20 odd for ford engines they were all they were pretty much all not ford owned until I think the last two or so wins that they got so it's a nice setup and it works well for red bull i think they've got the right sort of partner that they want and that they've still got control of their own design destiny but they've got money coming in the prestige of a, a big brand and they'll be working out exactly what technology and assistance they can get from Ford. We should note Ford performance engineers will be embedded within Red Bull technology as part of that. So yeah, it's uh, it's somewhere between a full-blown Ford engine and, uh, and a sponsorship deal, but I think quite a good one for Red Bull and probably quite a good one for Ford, assuming the engine is competitive. Yeah, it's good for Formula One as well. Uh, go over to yourself, Connor. What, what do you make of this? It's good to, we'll have six essentially road car manufacturer engines back on the grid well engines but but four six big names back on the grid for the first time in a long time ford honda ferrari renault alpine mercedes and audi so what, what do you make of the ford deal and what do you hope it brings to, to f1 from 26 personally I, I think it's so ironic that ford are now partnering up with the team that they sold you know back in at the end of two they sold the jaguar yes very formula one but no, it's an exciting prospect. Obviously, as as Ed said, they're going to be putting a little bit on the on the electrical side of things and the and the hybrid element. So they're going to be embedded in the design process. But it's very exciting for Formula One. It's good to, that you know we're entering the seemingly another manufacturer boom. But it does raise the question, and especially with the Andretti General Motors, is that these manufacturers piggybacking onto engine deals, which I think is annoying parts of the paddock. From what I can gather, I think Ford is a little bit less offensive because obviously they're going to be pumping in money and obviously helping with the with the engine itself it's not just a badge like the the tag badge was yeah it's not just a badge but with the to go off a little bit off topic the andretti general motors deal if they were to enter they'd probably use a, a renault engine mm. and i think as i say a lot of the people in the paddock find that slightly offensive piggybacking onto an engine deal but no, it's very good for Formula One. Very exciting to have another manufacturer. And obviously, it's a, a big American manufacturer as well. So it coincides with the, the growth of the sport over that side of the Atlantic. So, yeah. Also, not one without history, obviously. Ford, I believe to this day, and Eddie might correct me if I'm wrong, still hold the record for the most race victories in Formula One for an engine, don't they? Oh, sorry, third most after Mercedes and Ferrari? I think they're fourth most, but they tend to show up as third most because okay. Renault sneaked in some wins with the Tag Heuer branding on the Red Bull that lifts right, them ahead. Which but... is still the right, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll give them third. <laughs> it might have said third, but yeah, if, if you look at the, the naming there, they're fourth. But yeah, hugely, hugely successful. Extremely impressive considering they have not been in the sport for so long and they certainly haven't been winning in the sport for even longer because <laughs> the Jaguars weren't exactly race winning cars. Coops. 
where do you think this leaves Honda? Not in Formula One. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm just I'm just looking through the standard the, the list of the teams here. Like, there Williams might pull a weird one, but I can't see them going anywhere else really. I think uh, we we had a wee chat before we started recording. And I think, as you said, to kind of expand on your point, you said, Sean, I think a lot of the teams just don't trust them. Mm. They're going to provide an engine. They've got the expertise, but then are they going to get bored and put the ball in the cupboard and disappear? They've basically, like, this is history repeating itself. If they were just a bit more patient, they would have had a World Championship car in 2009. You know, they, they decided to withdraw, then they won the first championship with Verstappen in quite a while. But now they left it too long to decide what they were going to do. And then Red Bull have went with Ford. So, you know, what do you say? Like, this is just Honda being Honda. And it's eventually, it's history's just caught up with them and people just, teams... This is pure speculation. I don't know if it is true, but I would imagine it's just okay, like Honda come to your door and say, we'll give you this really good engine. You're like, yeah, but how long? Yeah. You know, we'll put you in there and we'll, we'll build the team up and we'll do all this stuff. And then you decide, you know, we're leaving. To the point where Red Bull had to start building their own engine. Now, this is a drinks manufacturer that then had to start engineering and hiring people to build a power unit because they decided we're leaving and the only team that we're going to supply them out there would have to supply them engines with Renault, and we all know how that ended. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be another one of those. They'll be out for a few years. They might dip back in after 2026. But the thing is, I mean, they're, they're on the list. They're on the table or the FIE list. Of, they're confirmed that they're going to be about whether they'll actually end up getting a partner. I read a thing that they sort of have like one of four options, all almost as unlikely as last. Either they hope that one of the smaller teams, like maybe a Williams or a Haas, thinks, oh, we might be able to, you know, improve ourselves a little bit as technically a works team, the only Honda team on the grid. That's one option, which I don't think is off the table for them yet. But again, how much do they do the teams trust that Honda will stick around? Two is that they buy a team, which I think is highly unlikely. Three is that they enter a new team, an 11th or 12th team on the grid, a new Honda Works team, which again, seems very unlikely. And the fourth is that they just kick it in and, and, and vanish again for, for 10 more years. Ed, what do you reckon? Is it just bye-bye to Honda for now, again? On the balance of probability, it seems most likely. There is the obviously anything can happen element they have registered that doesn't mean they're committed for 2026 but they are registered so they're still part of the process the process now if say a porsche was to turn up and say they wanted to do f1 for 2026 they're not going to be shut out so it's a very it's a very kind of vague commitment either way mm -hmm. it doesn't lock anyone out it doesn't lock people in only other contracts do that but yeah as you said all those options are limited there's a few teams that they could partner with but even for example Haas would be a problem because Haas are dependent on their Ferrari technical partnership so True. Haas uh, I don't mean this in a negative way that Haas are half a team in terms mm -hmm. of what they can do because they quite rightly and quite legally and quite innovatively I would say because Gunter Steiner really was the one who, who pushed this idea once they realized that the customer cars they were hoping were going to be made legal were taken off the table that you can take all these bits from Ferrari so yeah I, I'm not sure it would work for Haas where there's a will there's a way etc but that would require a lot of investment so that's not just buying a full-on turnkey team so there's a there's a couple of I guess obvious non-manufacturer affiliated teams there that could be of interest but it'd be hugely expensive to buy an F1 team mm -hmm. there's a, a reason why 
they're wanting to protect their investment in the teams they they own because f1 is in quite good shape at the moment and it's in quite good economic shape in the long term as well so the valuation of the teams has has gone up so it's very very difficult to see a way back for honda doubly so given they don't actually have an active at least not a full-on active 2026 power unit design mm. operation up and running now to give you an idea the red bull power chains i was having a look at the, the numbers and their accounts at the end of 2021 they had 123 people listed in red bull power trains on the design side so that 2026 project has been rumbling along they went from startup of the company to a single cylinder test engine with a view to 26 in 55 mm. weeks from starting up so all the manufacturers have been rolling along with this honda have done a little bit of little bit of concept work with the 26 engine because manufacturers are often doing that little thing there's always little groups taking a look at possible projects dotted around these manufacturers in all sorts of ways but they don't have a full operation going so to crank that all up they can't just go into a room at Sakura in Japan where they did the design before and fire it all up again because they've reallocated everything and changed mm. things. So it's a big old thing to get up and running. And that's assuming they could get board approval for it, which there's certainly people in Honda that would love to do Formula One and recommit again. But there's not tangible evidence that there's full on board support for it. And as has been pointed out, there's no guarantee that support will continue. So Pondas are possible, and I suspect they're probably there and sticking their hand up in case an interesting proposition comes up for them to do something. Or they could do a partnership with somebody else that might want to do and then just I'm not really sure how that would work, but it means that they're, they're sort of in the game, but they're not on the board, as it were. They're, they're there to be called on. I suspect they probably won't be around in 2026, but this is Honda and just about anything can happen. They could probably turn up in 2026 with a full works car and dominate f1 or they could somehow do a partnership with someone put a load of money into a championship winning car and disappear before it ever races again with, exactly <laughs> with that history. So you, you just you just don't know but it's a shame because i'd like to see honda mm. on the grid and there was a real possibility they could be involved with red bull powertrains that never quite fully materialized for the 26 engine and we should note that all that honda technology won't feed into the Ford project because Honda only lets them use the IP. Honda's very protective of it. It still has control of it. It's still prepping and supplying the engines to all intents and purposes. So it's not like they've got loads of Honda bits they can dismantle and reverse engineer. And manufacturers in the past have done that when you were doing F1 engines back in the day. It was quite common to buy yourself a Cosworth DFE and dismantle it and learn a bit from it. So yeah, Honda, being Honda, anything's possible, but I would say probably not but i'd hope they're around because they're a great company to have an f1 and there's there's a great group of as they call real racers at the heart of that that company so that was why it would be nice to see them still around in 26 so not impossible but perhaps not probable you mentioned there that obviously running out of time you know 26 all the like there, there's absolutely no way that ferrari and mercedes i think especially and obviously now audi aren't already committing a lot of time and resources to those 26 engines. And Honda, if they haven't, like the, the board clearly haven't decided, oh, what are we doing yet? So I can't imagine they're spending a hell of a lot of money right now on a 26 engine that would probably never race. And obviously we saw what happened last time they were late to the game. It, it took them more than half a decade to, to catch up. And then by the time they got it right, they left again. So, so it's a very good chance that 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 might happen again. Connor, did you have anything? I, I heard you, you were going to jump in there. I was just going to say this is one of the problems with manufacturers. They come and go. All it takes is a change of board, a big financial crisis, or as we've seen, 
more recently a, a global pandemic or something like Dieselgate, something like that that can change completely the landscape of the sport with a lot of manufacturers in. So, you know, obviously the sport right now is, is, is looking in a very good place in terms of manufacturers. Obviously, as you say, you've got Audi coming in, Ford, potentially General Motors. I know there's there's talk of Hyundai as well and what, how, how serious that is, I, I'm not too sure. But it's an interesting point to make that manufacturers are, at the end of the day, their sole purpose is is to make profits in the road car industry. And it's racing is a byproduct of that. It's, it's the old adage, win on Sunday, sell on Monday, but it's not a necessity for them. So all it takes, as I say, is a change of board or something to happen and manufacturers could pull out. Just look at the financial crisis, 2008, obviously Toyota left, BMW, obviously Honda, and then obviously Braun GP went on to win, which is such a, an interesting story. But it's it's one of those things with manufacturers that you can never be too sure with what they're going to do in the future because the landscape is always changing. Very true. And Ed, while we're just fin- finish up on this, talking about new, new teams, stuff like that, we had Mario Andretti on the show before Christmas. And on the episode, he did tease that they had something big to announce in January, which retrospectively turns out was this Cadillac arrangement we nearly got the exclusive out of him but not quite where do you think this this Ford deal lives I was listening to one of your your episodes of the the race YouTube channel the other day and you said this might leave them in a very tricky situation because as Connor said you know their plan is essentially to have Cadillac badged Renault engines that's just odd especially now that Ford will have a technical contribution to the Red Bull engines where do you think this leaves Andretti Cadillac Yeah, I think that Alpine badging side does cause some problems. I think it will ultimately depend on exactly the proposal Andretti and Cadillac put to F1. And now the process is officially opened, they have to lay their cards on the table. There's a lot of ingredients with the Andretti Cadillac proposal that are great. It's great to have GM involved. Obviously, the Andretti name is is brilliant. Mario's a legend. Michael actually is a, (laughs) he seems like a minor Andretti compared to Mario, like any driver, but Michael was a phenomenally, phenomenally good driver and very unlucky not to have an Indy 500 win or more Mm. IndyCar titles. So I've got a lot of time for the Andretti. So that's great. Proper American team. And I say proper in that Hass is American owned, but it's never really lent into that Americanness in any great way. And obviously, it's based largely in Italy. They've got a bit in a bit in the UK as well. The the ownership is American, so there's some positives there, and there does seem to be money and determination and and a desire there. So it'll just depend on a lot of those details. I think when it comes to the engine side of things, you you kind of zeroed in on what could be the clincher either way. I think they would allow a Cadillac branded Alpine engine as an interim measure. So for example, if they said, right, we are going to do a power unit for the next generation in 31, or we'll come in in 20. It's difficult to see any manufacturer coming in in the middle of a a cycle, but I guess it's possible. But if there's some point in the future where they're committed to doing their own engine, and this is an interim measure to get the team up and running, and yes, it'll be a Cadillac branded Alpine engine, they might accept that. But also they'll want to be very careful about accepting that if it's not absolutely firm that there will be a proper GM engine. So, yeah, it it depends on exactly what they come up with and and show there. I think, like most fans of F1, the the idea is very, very positive. And I think the teams actually and F1 are, are, are right to have a high bar for entry but it's got to be a clearable bar. And I think the teams would be willing to make it almost too high. 
So that's why there does need to be a little bit of FIA involvement there just to be coerced a little bit and make sure that the doors are jar rather than slam shut or, or wide open. And it's going to just come down to exactly the details of their proposal. Put your cards on the table because it's all been a little bit where we've had some conversations, but it's not been formal. But the FIA has laid out its out what it wants to see. F1, as in the Liberty Media and the teams, can lay out what they want to see. And the Andretti project can be measured against that. And then what decisions made can only be judged against that. But I hope it's as good on paper as it as it looks. But all the talk about what Cadillac and what GM are going to be doing technically is very nebulous at the moment. They have confirmed they've got an engine partner, yes. And we know it's it's Alpine. And they could get some parts from Alpine as well to help them get the team up and running. But they won't want that to be the way that team works in perpetuity, I'm sure of that. I don't think F1 will ever let another Haas-type model back in. Haas can exist as that because they're there and that's what they are and so they can carry on in perpetuity. But I'd be surprised if, if they do that. So, yeah, show that you're serious about it. And I think the Andretti's are serious. I think F1 will want them to show that the GM thing isn't just a, a little bit of marketing money thrown that way to give it some heft, but actually something tangible. And I really hope it is. And if it is, and if it ticks those boxes, 100%, let that project in because that's great for F1. Absolutely. Do you think, Coops, they might kind of shift what that proposal might look like now with Ford in? Because as we said, like that GM partnership might literally just be all sort of smoke and mirrors. They literally put the Cadillac badge, but Cadillac have virtually, and GM have virtually no kind of technical input to whatever Andretti do. Do you think that might change a little bit from their own like competition stake? I mean, Ford are coming in now. It's their biggest competitor. GM might actually want a little bit more of the piece of the Formula One pie from 2026. So I think they might come up with some new options to get a little bit more directly involved with what's going on other than just a badge. I think that's probably been a conversation since it was first announced. I mean, the FIA or the FIA president seemed to be quite happy that that was happening. But Formula One were, were particularly cool. For a name like Cadillac to say they're coming into Formula One, you know, they weren't as excited as you would think they would be. So I would be very surprised that the the people in Cadillac that came up with this deal with Andretti didn't phone each other or have conversations and say, this might not work. They're not liking this. Let's have, let's revisit. What could we do? I mean, I don't know much about GM in terms of where their technology is, like, you know, with the hybrid stuff, where they are in terms of that. You know, Ford, they're probably a bit higher than that because it's Ford. But maybe there are some things that they could they could bring in. Maybe they will start looking at bringing in some of the engineers that know that side, the hybrid element, which seems to be a lot easier for them to, to work on. Because let's face it, that's the technology they would put in their road cars, so they probably want to do some work with it. So, yeah, I think the, the Ford deal probably, it might make them want to come in a bit more because it's a you know GM Ford sort of thing. But I think the conversations about the deal as it was announced back when it was announced, I wouldn't think that's going to be the full proposal that they'll put to the FIA purely by the reaction within the paddock. I think that like we need to do more here. This isn't going to work. And as Ed said, maybe they're maybe they'll work on some sort of interim thing and lock them into some sort of deal to actually do something later on. So yeah, I think there's I think there's very much a lot of moving parts. And I would be surprised if Andretti and Cadillac weren't surprised by the lack of positive reaction. They've also walked straight into the middle of a political battleground here between FI and F1, so they've got to be careful not to be a political football. Well, 
Yeah, that too. And it didn't help by the way that was it Mario or Michael that was going around trying to get the Formula One teams to sign this bit of paper and it was kind of played out a wee bit in public, which is a which some people don't like. It rubs people up the wrong way. And I think that also contributed to the kind of reaction that the paddock, you know, the teams had. And I think there was a couple that were quite happy that to see them. Zach Brown came out and was quite happy, but then he's got a relationship with the Andretti's anyway. Gene Haas and Gunter Steiner, I think, if memory serves me, they were quite positive on it. But pretty much everyone else was was not impressed. And that might be around the way that they kind of presented themselves. There was a lot of talk, but not substance to what they were trying to say. It's like, yeah, we know you're Andretti, but show us... Them show not show us the money, but you know, show us what what would you mean? Give us something. Whereas, no, I don't want to sign a bit of paper, we need to know. So, you know, as I touched on, the FIA have formally put out a thing for two more teams, which means there now has to there's a tick box of list of things they want to see. So let's see what exactly they have and how it's going to work. Just another thing as well, you've got the 200 million dollar anti-dilution fund that a new entrant would have to pay. But they're, they're talking, obviously, that isn't enough. And at the, the next Concord agreement, they're going to raise it to something around 600 million or something is the figure that that is what I've heard. So there's another thing is obviously an 11th team would dilute the income by about one-tenth, I think. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it, obviously, it's it's going to have a negative effect on the what is the lifeblood for teams. So they're really protective of that. And I think that's another thing why Ford, Obviously, Ford are partnering up with Red Bull, so it's not a problem, you know. But for, for a new entrant to come in, mm. Andretti and General Motors, despite it being a, a manufacturer-backed effort, even though, you know, they're not going to go for to create their own engine, it's still diluting the income that, that teams are having. So, yeah, we'll see. But the, the next Concord Agreement, definitely I heard that about a $600 million figure is is being put forward. Ed, is that true? or? Yeah, they're certainly trying to put up that anti-dilution amount or something in that yeah. sort of region. It is waivable, theoretically. It's not absolutely mandatory. So they want to just make sure that if someone's going to well, you can't really force your way in because you need approval, but they want to set the bar really high and then they get to choose whether they lower it. So that's what they're pushing for. I can see the argument for it because the value of teams has risen since they set that figure. But I do think it's quite bad for the optics of Formula One in terms of the the PR because it just looks like they're shutting everyone out completely. And the way things work with the cost cap, with the way that the income is distributed between the teams is very positive. So you need to protect that for in order for it to work. Otherwise, you just get completely free competition, which in these days just kills most of the teams. And that's why we ended up with such a big disparity between the top teams and the rest being built up. So yeah, the teams do want to do that. And that'll be part of the whole debate with the Andretti and the new teams, because if they come in in 25, it's a slightly different thing to if they come in in 26. And of course, if you're going to come in for 25, you're going to have to be a signatory on the 26 Concord as well, which presumably we put in place. So this is why it's such a wide political landscape. And I think it, it comes back to the point about the way the Andrettis have done things as well. There's rubbed people up the wrong way. They've also got to be very careful because we've seen in the past in 2010, all of those new teams that were coming in for that season and trying to get in, they ended up being political footballs as well because some of them signed up for a, a, a cost capped F1, which then vanished, but they were part of a bigger political battle. And that's the real danger. And I think it would be actually quite bad for F1 to treat GM like that. Cause that'll mean GM will probably never come anywhere near it. And, and I think 
this project deserves a fair crack, but the political landscape isn't great. And if the Andretti side has decided that going all in with the FIA side is the right way to do it, I think that's a little bit of a problem because it's Liberty Media, the commercial rights and the teams that I would say have the power because the FIA doesn't have the financial might in this argument. So they need to establish a slightly more neutral position and sell to Liberty Media and the teams why they'd be beneficial for Formula One and be very robust in taking up the right position so they don't get stitched up by it because, like we say, it could be great. could be exactly what F1 needs, but it could also just collapse because there's all sorts of other third-party arguments going on that have nothing to do with Andretti or GM. They're all about all the rest of Formula One. Lots to be discussed over the next uh, several months. Before we finish up, there was one extra piece of news that came out this week, which we just thought was too funny to, to ignore. Uh, the report came out that Christian Horner had double the screen time of any team principal in 2022. We just thought this was way too funny to not mention. And Ed, I'd love to get your thoughts on Christian Horner being the most TV popular team principal in the paddock for last season. I suspect there'll be a little bit of availability playing a part in that, shall we say, because he's he's always happy to do the. I assume it includes all of the all of the coverage, so he's happy to so, do yes. those pit lane, the pit wall comments during uh, during races and qualifying, which certainly Toto Wolf doesn't do. I don't think. I think Sky might have got Binotto once or something in the past, mm. but being in a top team and being available probably plays a part there but it, it is interesting i mean obviously it's quite a big disparity but i don't think it reflects anything fundamentally problematic in terms of red bull getting kind of undeserved coverage because i'm sure i mean i don't know for sure but i'm sure they'll send out plenty of requests for who they can get to sort like in races they'll get people like Otmar Saf now will turn up sometimes and going to steiner so it does however show kind of how ubiquitous Christian Horner then becomes in the coverage, certainly for the mm. UK audiences. So regardless of the reasons for it, it does have an effect and it's perceived in a certain way. So, yeah, it is quite interesting, especially given what happened, what was it, Mexico last year when there was the the, the Red Bull withdrawal of cooperation for the for the weekend because of, of some comments incident. So it's, yeah, there's an extra irony because of, because of that. But I suspect availability will have played a big, availability and the profile of the team will have played a, a part in that. How powerful a part is a, a, another matter. But yeah, it, it does explain because pretty much barely a day does go by on Sky without Christian Horner being heard and talking. And I suppose he, he offers value because he's the team principal of, of the, the top team in F1 as was last year. Absolutely. Coops, any final news items or questions for Ed before we before we wrap up? Uh, I haven't really seen much in the way of news, to be honest. It's been relatively quiet, other than the kind of show launches from what I've seen. Actually, one thing to ask Ed while he's here, what do you think is James Bill's you know, as the as the new team principal of Williams, what do you think his effect is coming from Mercedes and how embedded it was there. What do you think or what do you hope for now that he's going to take over at Williams? What do you think his effect will be on that team? Yeah, it's a big ask, isn't it? A big step. But it's the kind of step you've got to take if you want to take on that sort of job. So all credit to him for doing that. He's been thinking about the possibility of being a team principal for a long term, a long time and involved in a lot of those things within Mercedes, as as he and Toto Wolf have talked about. So it's going to be a slow burn effect, whatever happens, because Ultimately, the die's cast in terms of this year's car. He can have an impact on the performance this year, 
But in terms of what happens on track and the overall results, the impact will be pretty much negligible. Yeah, if he does a good job and implements the right kind of culture, etc., they might have a few slightly better weekends, but, but the car is the car. So it's more about how he kind of tries to bring that team a bit up to date, what direction it, it's set in in terms of what investment there is in that team. But it's, it's a tough one, Williams, because it's going to take time. And really, the zero point should have been last year. Obviously, the team had been taken over during the, the, the kind of peak of the, the COVID pandemic when Williams basically just had to sell because they, they ran out of, of credit effectively just because of how difficult the commercial environment of F1 had been for independent teams just had the life squeezed out of them particularly by the previous round of commercial agreements that exist in place of Concord but I'm digressing a bit there anyway but yeah I think Vowles will have a clear idea of what he wants to try and create at Williams he'll go in speak to people try and understand what problems have led to the team underachieving when I say underachieving I'm not saying they should be up the front they're they're not a team that's got that performance potential currently but they should be better in the midfield they should be properly in the midfield group so that's an aim perhaps for next year so it'll be long term they need a technical director they need to make sure that they're not losing out aero wise which has been going right back to when they let agent Newey walk away you could say drove away by making him not feel like he was a real proper part of the team and cutting him out of driver decisions that he was contractually meant to be involved and not giving him a little totemic stake in the team. That was quite costly for Williams in the end. And you really can trace it back that far. A lot of other things have happened. So yeah, slow expansion. He needs to see it as a long-term project. I don't think, as some have suggested, it's kind of do three years there and then go and be team boss of Mercedes because this Williams job is a big one. But there's good people there. He'll find good accomplished people. They're only a few seconds off the pace, ultimately. That's still a seriously quick racing car. They're still a very good team, so there's lots to build on there. But, yeah, I think it's a, a case of watch this space, see we recruit, see we brings in, and see where they get to, really. I know it's, it's always dull to look so far ahead, but really you're looking at 2026 as almost the point where they can have a new set of rules and kind of get a new zero point. So, yeah, be patient, Williams fans. There might be light at the end of the tunnel, but it's quite a small prick of light at the end of the tunnel rather than a big blazing blazing one that's, that's coming up very quickly but I think a good move good smart move for Williams and I hope it goes well for for Vowles there because he's he's somebody who's deserved a shot in this kind of role do you think that Doralton have kind of shown their hand by the fact they've went for James Vowles rather than just taking an unimaginative step for me personally you don't hire somebody like James Wells and take him away from Mercedes for it to be a two-year stretch. You just don't do that. That's a 10-year number. That's a, I mean, that may be a bit too long, but you know what I mean? That's a good five, six, seven years worth of, right, get him in the team. We're going to have a couple of rough years. Let him do what he needs to do. I read recently that Jos Caputo was basically hired almost like a kind of babysitting job. It was like two years with a third as a maximum. They had a conversation and decided this is, you know, this is a good place to cut it off. Let's move on. Maybe they'd sort of kind of sounded out bills or realised that he could be interested and thought, I don't know, that's speculation. But do you think that that, for Doralton, that shows their commitment to the team and more that they've brought in James Wills and that they will give him the opportunity to make his mark in the team? Yeah, it certainly shows a willingness to take a slightly creative direction. You can point at it and say, well, 
they can't get Toto Wolf, so they'll get one of Toto Wolf's main lieutenants and throw him in with everything he knows. So it's a way to try and get some of that Mercedes magic. So I suspect from that position, you could argue it's a bit more predictable. But yeah, giving someone who's never run a racing team like this, certainly never run a Formula One team like this before, is a big step. And yeah, they should be thinking properly long term with it and i think it does reflect a certain change of direction because yeah capito is never going to be there for 10 15 years but the fact fx de Maison, the technical director who capito bought in has gone out as well does kind of underline that there is a bit of a change of direction field as well maybe not a kind of u-turn and suddenly you're going in a totally different direction but they're slightly changing the approach they want to go and having kind of a a, a a kind of younger, fresher team principal with new ideas, but also with the credibility of having been part of that Williams team will have appealed to them on paper. And then it's just down to how people within the team respond to him. But in terms of Dalton commitment, I think they're sort of solidly committed. They've always talked about stability. That's a big thing in all the companies they own, they claim. It's obviously, it's a, basically a private investment company. So it's quite opaque in many ways in terms of who the money is, etc. But there is money there. They've invested constructively, not aggressively. They've not underinvested. They've not overinvested. So it's not throwing money, but it's not putting nothing in. So it's more a kind of controlled spend there. And obviously, because teams have value now in the way F1 is, there's people on the outside who want to get in. It's a good it's a good organization to protect and invest in a bit because it's actually worth quite a bit. I don't think that, well, I know they didn't come into it expecting to buy the team and kind of flip it and sell it a few years later, but there is that option there. And they'll always know that there's the possibility that, I don't know, a Porsche or someone could suddenly get really excited about buying a Formula One team and come along and make an offer they can't refuse. So it's good business sense for them as well. But yeah, as you said, very, very long road and they have to look long term with this appointment. I thought it was interesting that you said that they've recruited, they couldn't get Toto, so they got his essentially protege. Certainly works in other sports because it's exactly what's happening in the Premier League right now. Arteta and Ten Hag are Pep Guardiola's former protégés. And if you can't get the big man, get the people who he trained. Let's see if it, it could work for Williams as well. It's, a, it's definitely an interesting strategy. Connor, before we finish up, do you have any final bits of news or questions for Ed? Ed features on a podcast that revolves around 10 cylinders and I just, you know, would like to get his thoughts on the, when, was it the F2002 show clip was going around Abu Dhabi in? I thought that was really cool and just to see the, the fan reaction just shows how much those engines, that sound still means to the sport. Yeah, people still react a lot to those cars. It was interesting. A few years ago, I think in Abu Dhabi, Alonso drove Alonso, the, the Renault. Year, yeah, that's the R25. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been 2021, I guess, mm-hmm. with the way the timelines were. But everybody could hear it, and the people were kind of stopping working to listen to it. Obviously, a lot of people had worked with those engines, so they do have a striking effect, those cars. And they're also lighter cars, so they're, they're, they're less lazy-looking cars. They're slower in terms of peak pace in today's cars, but they don't have that kind of lazy turn and they have that sharpness. That's almost what I kind of prefer compared to the noise. Noise is a little bit, I don't know, be sacrilegious, but a bit secondary to me, but I know why people like it. But for me, it's that that sharp turning that you see, that nimbleness with the Mm. the cars that I I love to, to see from it. And it's still, yeah, exciting. I think inevitably things have to evolve and develop and you couldn't have cars to those rules these days no. yeah people will point to hybrid and that kind of thing that's part of it but 
there's a lot of safety equipment that's since got onto cars and i think safety equipment while it's quite boring i think everyone's quite excited about it when it saves drivers from serious injury or worse so that's there to stay and that's part of it but they are trying to for 26 get the cars a bit lighter they think there's about 35 kilos maximum is it is where they might be able to make a little bit of difference so they want slightly smaller cars slightly lighter it's not going to take it back to how it was then but it's it's a step in that direction but yeah it's great to see i like to see old cars of any era uh, out there being driven properly and and seemed to quite enjoyed his run I got one of the old ones in person at the old Red Bull V8 in, in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. And the sound was just, it was like nothing else. It was incredible. I just remember when also, I forgot when Vettel went round in the Silverstone in the FW14 and I was there and you just get goosebumps from it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's special. It was just nice to see them roll out an, an old V10 just to go around. And I think he was, he was on slicks, Pirelli slicks. Yeah, he was. And, and Ed said about, the nimbleness of the the cars. He was only about two or three seconds off the fastest lap in the Grand Prix. So it just shows those cars were seriously quick. Yeah, and had probably produced a bit less downforce, but they were so much lighter. They're not too far off today's cars. Unfortunately, today's cars just don't quite sound the same. Although the V8s sound a lot better than they did in 2014. (laughs) I think we could all agree on that. Or sorry, the V6s. I think we could all agree on that. I have one last question for Ed then before we finish up. It's something we historically like to ask guests at the start of the season or just before the start of the season. And I'm going to put you extra on the spot now because we know almost nothing about the pecking order other than some guesstimates. If you had a fiver today to walk into your bookies, who are you putting it on to win the championship in 2023? I think I'd probably be very dull and I, I would put it on Max Verstappen because he's a great driver. There's no reason to expect Red Bull not to be very, very strong, even if they've got more competition. But if I may broaden the question and add in Constructors Championship, I might mm. say Verstappen drivers, Mercedes Constructors, perhaps. Interesting. That's, the, nice. that's a possibility. So, yeah, ideally, they'll be nice and close. So that that could be something that happens. I could be entirely wrong because, <laughs> going back to what I was saying earlier, there's very little data to go on, but there's, there's no reason to expect... Red Bull not to be very strong. Yeah, they've got the ATR limitation with the cost cap punishments, but I think that's going to be one that's felt a little bit more as time goes on as well. In that 12-month period, they've got less. So I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be right up there. And, you know, if give Verstappen a car to win the championship, he can he can do it. Just hope it's a little bit less easy than it was last year. Yeah, let's hope Charles and, and, and Lewis or George can, can give him a run through to the end of the year. That it will do it for today. Before we finish off, Ed, is there anything you'd like to plug? Where can people find you on socials? Where can people check out your articles? The race.com mainly is the place to go. And also the Race F1 podcast, Bring Back B10s, the podcast that was alluded to, you can have a listen to as well. That's presented by my colleague in Freeman, which tells classic F1 stories. So you can have a look there. And if you were at a loose end on Sunday in London, we've got a live podcast as part of Pod Live, which is a sports podcast festival. So if you search that up online, I think on Sunday afternoon, we've got a live show and I think there's still a few tickets left available for that. And I've probably used up all my plugging and promotional <laughs> grace in that little speech. Mm-hmm. Well, we will leave some links to to that in the show notes below if there are tickets available for that. Thank you very much to my panel. Thank you very much, Coops. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you on again. Thank you very much, Connor. No, thank, thank you for having me on again. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. And thank you again, Ed, for, for joining us today. It's been great chatting to you again. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you again. Thank you all very much for listening. We are Everything F1. Don't forget to check us out on all socials at JoinEF1, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you have been listening to the podcast and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode. We will be back next week with more Formula One news. Thanks very much. Bye.